I picked up a copy of a Sand County Almanac, which I read again after all these years, which got me to thinking, just how relevant is the book and its author, Aldo Leopold? Does it continue to influence us as we struggle with the environmental, social, and economic issues of the day? So I contacted Kurt Miney, who is a conservation biologist, historian, and author. His biography, Aldo Leopold, His Life and Work, published in 1988, was the first full-length biography on Leopold. In addition, Kurt is involved with the Center for Humans and Nature, and currently serves as the senior fellow with the Aldo Leopold Foundation. Kurt also served as the narrator and on-screen guide for the Emmy Award-winning documentary film, Green Fire, Aldo Leopold and the Land Ethic of Our Time. When I asked Kurt if he would come on Nature Revisited and talk about both Leopold and his call for a land ethic, he welcomed the opportunity to try and put them into a more current perspective with the present environmental issues that we face. His extensive essays and articles have helped many of us to put our current crisis into a more manageable context. And I hope our conversation will inspire all of us to try and find a common ground that can lead us forward. I would like to start with something more personal, which is what role did nature really play in your growing up? Everything. You know, uh, I grew up in a family that was a camping and fishing family, and I suppose that was the kind of the main entry point as a kid. But it did not take long before I kind of began to explore on my own the landscapes where I found myself, which were actually not kind of in what we would think of as wild places. They were more suburban or, you know, even urban places. But we also had access when I was a kid to places, mostly in the upper Great Lakes. We were living in the Chicago area at the time. And from there, would do a lot of exploring around the upper Midwest and the Great Lakes region. I was I was out as often as I could be, and that direct personal experience was kind of being complemented by what I was studying and interested in learning about in school. So I found my convergence, I guess, in, in thinking about conservation and literature and history and science and all of that combined, but also always kind of checking against the reality of the, the world around me wherever I found myself. So what brought you to write the biography on Aldo Leopold? Well, I grew up sort of a tail-end baby boomer at a time when Aldo Leopold's writing was really having a profound effect on a whole generation of readers. And I was among them. I was a college student, I guess, when I first encountered Leopold's writing. As for many others, it was it was a remarkable literary influence 
for me it was actually going back to what I was just saying, it was kind of the way Leopold combined science and literature and history and ecology and uh, ethics that appealed to me, that, that ability to bridge disciplines and write poetically about the landscape as well as our human relationships within it. So when I went to, on to college and eventually graduate school, um, Leopold's work was right there at kind of helping to guide me along the path. What led me to do biography was I came to do my graduate studies up at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, where Leopold was a professor back in the day. And so his influence on the campus in Madison was was deep, and there were still a lot of living connections to him back then. So this was, uh, again, my student days, and at that point, no one had written about Leopold. Well, there had been scholarship on Leopold, but no full biography. This highly influential figure, kind of an iconic, almost mythical figure, and yet uh, there was not much writing about his actual life. So I took on the task, had the opportunity to do that, uh, to fill in the gaps, and it worked out because uh, the main repository of Leopold's papers, his archival papers, is at the university in Madison. And more broadly, it was a moment when the evolving environmental movement, I think, really needed to know his story in more depth. Um, He had been such an influential figure, but one could see that the future of kind of environmental policy and thinking could benefit from some of the lessons that Leopold's life held. So given that, and and given the fact that most people are familiar with a Sand County Almanac, but can you give us a brief summary of his life for those listeners who don't really have an idea of the broadest strokes of what he did? Because that kind of mythical status of Leopold is largely based on the wide readership he gained through the publishing of his book, A Sand County Almanac. In fact, that was literally the last act of Leopold's career. Um, It was published posthumously in 1949. Part of what I was trying to do in the biography was say behind that iconic book is a story of uh, an individual who contributed in so many other ways. So the short version of this is that Leopold grew up in the Midwest, in Iowa, along the Mississippi River, um, at the turn of the 20th century. So he was a kid when Teddy Roosevelt came into the presidency and when the conservation movement was just taking form in something like what we could recognize now. He went off to study out east with an idea of becoming a forester, which was really the only entry point professionally if you had an interest in conservation. And so he went on to uh, go to college at Yale University where the Yale Forest School, the oldest continuous forestry program in the country, still there. He goes off to the southwest to be part of this avant-garde of young foresters helping to establish the new system of national forests across the country. Spends his first 15 years in in Arizona and New Mexico, which were not even states yet when Leopold arrived there, and works his way up the Forest Service with several key interests already emerging, particularly in wildlife, 
in thinking about watersheds and water in the landscape and changing of landscapes in that way. And then a third interest is the protection of wildlands, what would later be termed wilderness. He goes on eventually to come to the back to the Midwest to Madison, Wisconsin, for another position in the Forest Service. He eventually moves on to study his real passion, which was wildlife management. And he lays the foundations for that new field. Becomes the first professor at the University of Wisconsin in 1933. He writes the first textbook in that field, contributing innovations all along the way. So another one from that period was laying the foundations for the modern field of ecological restoration. The very first work in restoring, in this case, prairies of the Midwest happened under Leopold's guidance. He's constantly making contributions and growing all along the way. And when you look at his career, he would spend his next 15 years at the University of Wisconsin, constantly growing and changing in those years. It's pretty remarkable to look back on that time and see how he's, again, in a time of what we can relate to because it was a time of really challenging economic and environmental and social change in the 1930s and 1940s. Through all of this time, he's doing a lot of writing. He's always writing, 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 mostly technical materials and uh, administrative reports, that sort of thing, but he also has this poetic streak. It begins to emerge in the late 1930s, and over the next decade, he would compose the essays that went into the book we know as a Sand County Almanac and constantly working on it over the last decade of his life, rejected by publishers a number of times. And this book would be a landmark, of course, in environmental literature, largely because Leopold understands the need to be a communicator as much as a scientist and a teacher and a practicing conservationist. And I boil that down by saying he understood that this brand-new emerging science of ecology that he did so much himself to promote and bring forward, it had to be translated. It had to be translated into the language of average citizens and students and others. So Leopold put a lot of time and effort in that last decade to explaining the relevance and significance of this new way of understanding how the natural world works and our human impacts on and within the natural systems as the book was accepted for publication just one week before he died. And so he died knowing this book would be published, but never knowing the immense impact it would have. So I'd sum it all up by saying Leopold is really unique in the 20th century environmental and conservation movement for the breadth of his interests, from forestry and wildlife and soil conservation to education and ethics and economics and on and on and the depth of his contributions in all those areas. And it really is an unusual record of a person constantly growing and making connections as he developed through his career. So what are some of the things that you have learned about Leopold since the writing of the biography? Well, Leopold is one of those historic figures that you you can always look back on, given what's going on in today's world and in the challenges we face, and find some new insight, some new grounding, something to bounce off of. I guess I would say that what I have learned is that 
conservation is a constantly evolving movement. And in its later expression as the environmental movement, that transition from conservation to the environmental movement, that we're still trying to figure out in some ways, Leopold can be and has been, for me, a really important touchstone for that, both in terms of what he got right and what he missed. What he got right was so much of what we now take for granted, the need to do our work in a interdisciplinary way, connecting different fields of knowledge to solve any kind of problem. Uh, Leopold understood that education and communication was so important. Um, his own work in that area, as I mentioned before, is fundamental. That understanding the science is only part of it. Being able to connect and communicate that science to other ways of life and other parts of society is equally important. What did he miss? He missed a lot, of course. He, he, he was a man of his time. He died in 1948, and we sometimes forget that because his, his thinking was so modern in so many ways that he, he was a product of his own time and circumstance. So, for example, we can think about some issues that he didn't fully grasp or understand, like climate change. He had an intuition and even said a few things that were significant when it came to anticipating such global issues as climate change. He understood what we would now think of as biodiversity conservation and wrote extensively, really provided foundations for modern thinking about biological diversity in our world. But he he didn't quite see it in the same way globally that we do now. And on the social side, of course, we can see that Leopold in his attitudes was in some ways prescient and ahead of his times and others not. Um, Leopold didn't live to see the civil rights movement, for example, in its flowering in the 1950s and 60s. And so his understanding of the importance of the social dimensions of conservation and how it had to evolve, he again could help point in some of those directions, but he didn't live long enough to make the kind of contributions that we so desperately need now. Why does he resonate so much today, and especially with young people. Why does Leopold resonate for young people um, today and continue to all, after all these decades? Well, I, I think it's probably for the same reason he resonated in his own time and in the first generation or two of readers who, who came upon Leopold. He's a storyteller. Most people encounter Leopold through his writing, and how do we humans most get our messages across? We do it through stories. Leopold in San County Almanac, that's what he did. He provided stories about ecological relationships and human impacts on the land, for his favorite term, that are in some ways timeless. And they're beautifully written. <laughs> and poetry and beauty reach across generations and landscapes and backgrounds and class and every other way we have of defining our communities and our, our, our identities. And so there is a universal quality to Leopold's writing. And the other thing I guess I would mention on that is, again, Leopold's ability to connect fields of knowledge and parts of the world medical science these days, especially in the middle of the pandemic. And that's maybe a good example that we know that the way we have been 
having to face COVID is the greatest test of our lives and to meet it we need to be able to draw on all different fields of knowledge as well as working in our communities to help address this massive problem same with climate change same with water issues same with so many other things that we conservation folks care about we have to connect people in the process leopold in his life and his work and his writing and his teaching exemplified that kind of connecting of understanding to caring to conveying and communicating. Leopold's ability to advance the science in a lot of different areas and provide a groundwork for for sort of the traditional management disciplines that we think of when we think of conservation, forestry, wildlife management, range management, even fisheries, those sorts of technical fields that Leopold contributed to in his own lifetime and as they have continued to evolve, plus more modern disciplines like restoration ecology and conservation biology and landscape ecology. There are a lot of fields that have emerged since Leopold that build upon that that example of of connections in understanding how the world works. But beyond the science, Leopold contributes the understanding that science alone can't tell you what to do with that knowledge. Science tells us how the world works, but it doesn't tell us what to do with that knowledge. To do that, we need guidance from philosophy and ethics. And so Leopold constantly tried to understand what does this new science mean for our value system and for our way of treating one another and for treating the natural world. So he laid the foundations important foundations for modern environmental ethics and philosophy, and primarily through his concept of the land ethic, which he understood had to continue to evolve. And he kind of helped us begin a conversation that continues to grow and expand. Leopold contributed in the policy arena. Um, He was not afraid of going into the public forum and working through our agencies and our other governmental entities to put into practice some of the concepts that he was uh, with his colleagues and contemporaries developing. And the last thing I'd mention is sort of his practice. Leopold was also a practitioner. He wasn't just thinking about this stuff. He was putting it into practice in his own place, in his own landscape, which is here by me in Wisconsin, actually. Um, And so it wasn't enough to do this within on college campuses and government offices. It had to make a difference on the landscape. So can you elaborate and kind of give a little bit of a better idea of the concept of land ethics? Well, you find Leopold toward the end of his life feeling that he needed to tie up his way of seeing the world in a single statement. And he he composes an essay called The Land Ethic, That is sort of the capstone of that book and one of the reasons for its enduring influence. And that essay, when you read it, looks like, well, Leopold sat down and did a really elegant job of (laughs) defining his philosophy. Well, it's not that simple, actually. It's uh, The story behind that essay is that he actually pulled together older bits of writing and pieced it all together with some new material. And so it's a effort that was going on for 20 years in his own head. And he 
worked it and reworked it and reworked it over those years. And finally, toward the end of his life, he even chose this new term for it, a land ethic. And what did he mean by that? Well, he understood land as an ecologist would. And as an historian, we might say an environmental historian would now, he understood land as a community that involved all the pieces. As he, he would often phrase it, the soils, waters, plants, and animals, and people. That was the land as a community. And he understood, too, that that community functioned in ways that were either positive or potentially not so positive. And so he began to work up a sort of a partner concept that he called land health, by which he meant the capacity for that whole community of the land to regenerate itself. So that allowed him to tie together all these different conservation concerns that he had from soil erosion to disrupted water systems to plant and animal extinctions to economic trouble in the way we use land. By forging this idea of a land ethic, he was able to kind of pull it all together and help, help us all to understand that conservation isn't just about sustaining the economically valuable parts of the land, the timber trees or the game animals or the fish that we harvest from the sea. It's about the entire community because the whole community has to work if you're going to have those economic benefits sustained. And so he was pushing conservation beyond the idea of simply economic sustainability, we might say now, to the idea of ecological well-being and health, um, the capacity, as he once said, to renew itself. And a last point that's really important is that Leopold didn't see this as just his own statement of a philosophy. He understood that an ethic is not something any one individual prepares or writes, that an ethic is, in fact, the expression of a whole community, a thinking community, as he said. In the end of the essay, he provides a charge to future generations to keep that ethic evolving and growing and making new connections all the time. And this is another reason that Leopold stays relevant, and because he offers this invitation in fact, he compels us by saying, in essence, you too have to contribute to this evolving ethic. In short, Leopold, in the book, provided new philosophical grounding for the conservation movement as he lived it, as he experienced it in his career. And that ethic, as he defined it, will go on to inform the environmental movement that comes along and begins a whole new conversation about how we that we have to face how an ethic has to help us that an ethic has to continue to evolve and guide us let's bring it to the present a little more such as environmental racism and environmental justice how do you think he would respond to some of these issues today yeah it's it's a question that uh, is so important. How do we take the legacy of the conservation and environmental movements, both their strengths as well as their 
flaws and blind spots, how do we retool for the times that we face now and the immense challenges ahead of us? So this is a, a question that's challenging everybody right now, and it's a challenging moment, but it's also an exciting moment for me personally, I'd say, because this in many ways is what so many of us have been working for for so long. Leopold did not have all these answers. He was a visionary when it came to conservation and environmental thought and philosophy. He was not that way um, when, it, when in dealing with issues of social justice and social inequity that we know we must face because they are part of the same big problem. So the way I, I personally deal with this is to first go back to the record and see how Leopold did deal with these issues to the limited extent he did in his own time. And it's a lot more nuanced than, uh, than, than it would first appear, uh, although Leopold didn't write or say a great deal on these issues, and there were more than a few statements he made in his in large body of writing that we read now and we go, oh, that's awkward or that's not very appropriate by our standards of his own time, much less now. So all our historic figures are flawed. This is just a reality. There's no such thing as a perfect prophet in any walk of life. And Leopold falls into that category. He, he, was, he was a flawed human like everybody else. At the same time, I personally think that he really laid the foundations for these important connections, not that just we're making now, but that we have been making for many, many years. I'm seeing, and I think what we're seeing right now, is a powerful moment when people from so many backgrounds and walks of life are, are making connections between our ecological and social and economic justice needs. This has been happening for decades. It's been growing for decades. Not quickly enough and not far enough. But we've reached a moment when we know that we can't solve any of these problems in isolation, that these are systemic problems that require systemic solutions and systemic ways of thinking. And that's where the connection with Leopold can be helpful. Leopold saw in his own time that the problems he faced that his generation faced were also products of thinking that did not see the whole of the system or the whole of the problem. And you can't solve these problems piece by piece. You have to be thinking at all these levels simultaneously. So he didn't have all the answers. He didn't make all the connections. But what he did do was provide a model of someone continually growing and evolving in his own career, and especially in the last few years of his life, it's worth mentioning that after World War II, I, as a biographer, see him continually growing to now face what was evident to that generation after World War II, that we were in global crisis. It's a conservation crisis. It's a human rights crisis. It's a economic crisis. It's a technological crisis in a way. And so Leopold's philosophy of the land ethic was in many ways a response to that time of crisis. So had he been around today, he would have seen, of course, what, 70, 80 years more of change and some problems addressed to some degree, others completely ignored. And he, I think, 
just the way he worked and the way his brain worked, he would have understood that now is a time that we all have an obligation to be reaching out, listening, understanding our history, admitting where the flaws are, seizing upon the insights of our, especially in the case of building an ethic, the great moral leaders of our time. Our challenge is now, can we combine the insights of an Aldo Leopold with the insights of a Martin Luther King, with the insights of a Cesar Chavez? On and on. Uh, we have inherited these legacies of ethical growth and change that we badly need right now. And we we are the generation called upon to connect them more than any other generation before. So we've been kind of talking about how Leopold might respond to the issues of today. How do you think we should respond to his work concerning these issues? What Leopold did in his writing, mostly in St. County Almanac, but a lot of other writing beyond that. But especially in St. County Almanac, Leopold called upon us to look to our own places, our own backyards, our own home landscapes first. And in fact, when you look at that book, that's how it's laid out. He first takes the reader into his very intimate local landscape. And what he shows in those short essays is that there is an immense world of wonder and beauty and drama and comedy even in every place. If you learn to see it and understand it and perceive it, you can find joy and uh, wonderment anywhere. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to be in a wild you know, place. Uh, in fact, Readers are sometimes overlooked the fact Leopold in these essays in a San Colony Almanac, he's describing a worn out piece of degraded land. It's not, you know, the beautiful national park or some great wilderness area. It's a degraded little piece of Midwestern worn out farm. And yet he's able to see these lessons of ecology in that place. And so whether we live in an urban neighborhood or a suburban development or in a farm landscape or on the edge of a wild place, um, he calls upon us to look to the places where we find ourselves and to understand what's going on there. And so I would hope that people who are looking to Leopold now will read him not to see that he got everything right or that he understood the full magnitude of the challenges we face now socially as well as environmentally. But that essence is still helpful, that essence of being able to understand all our challenges as well as all our opportunities reflect this focus on relationship. And if we're to make it through these times of crisis and intersecting crises, we have to be able to negotiate those relationships and, and turn them healthy and make them healthy, uh, recognize what health even is. So that's, I think, his legacy for readers now who are looking back to him. And others, again, Leopold is not an isolated figure. Um, he is part of a generation that was trying to work these things out just as we are 
ourselves. We're in a challenging moment right now. We are examining our history to understand the deep systemic roots of our ills and our challenges. And this has to be done. This is vital, necessary work. Because we're not going to solve our problems if we do not get to the roots of them. And as we look to our figures in history, we can do two things. We can look and focus on all that they missed and all that they did not address and all that they ignored or all that they were unaware of. And we can say that that history is really not very helpful. Or we can be, hopefully, a little more generous and say, well, they were flawed, but they did provide the foundations, at least some of the foundations, for what we must do now. The forces of division out there are strong and mighty, well-funded in powerful places. The challenge of finding common ground wherever we can is going to require the best of all of us. I find history essential to that. And yet, I'm also not just a historian, I'm also a, a working conservationist who is most interested in making a difference. And we make the difference through building, as I said earlier, those relationships. Leopold did his best in his time, as did prior generations in all their walks of life. Uh, our job now is to seize this critical moment. There's no more time to waste. And that is the final, most important thing that we are called upon to forge an ethic that has never been quite made before. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kurt Miney and that you will visit his website, kurtminey.com, to learn more about the important work he is doing and to read his wonderful articles and essays. In particular, his recent article, Healing Sacred Earth. The music for this episode is Poor Boy, A Long Way From Home, arranged by John Fahey and performed by Jonathan Siegel. I hope you will share Nature Revisited with friends, family, and colleagues, and subscribe to Nature Revisited on your favorite podcast server. You can also follow us on Instagram, YouTube, or our website, nordenproductions.com. That's Norden, N-O-O-R-D-E-N, productions.com. If you would like to share your thoughts or comments, please send them to us through our website contact page, and we will share them on our Instagram page. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Orden and Charles Gagan. And I hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, remember, we are nature.